0: Hear the word of the Lord from Ephesians 2, starting in verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you were no longer strangers and aliens, but you were fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This is is one of those passages that, that kind of, not necessarily physically, but it just, it's just that goosebump kind of passage. As, as you're hearing it read, as I, as I have read it before, it's one of these passages that just overwhelms me because there's such rich familial language uh, as Paul is painting this picture of what the church is to be. And per- perhaps you even saw it in verse 19 that you know, Paul is saying the church is the household of God. And, and I think we're drawn to familial language. We, we love the idea of family. Whether we come from good families or broken families, messed up families, we all have this kind of precious view of family because family is one of the only places where you belong, not because of something you've done to earn your status. You belong just because you belong. You're, you're family because you're family. I mean, it would be ridiculous to think of, of tryouts being a part of the family process. You know, like, like, you, like we just had our baby boy, Edmund, you saw him up here. I mean, imagine part of like the child dedication process is like, and after five years, you will establish your worth in the family and then we will re-up your membership. You know, it would be ridiculous to have tryouts with families. Like, I mean, because who knows? I mean, what if he grows up to not like barbecue? You know, what do I do? If he doesn't like baseball, what if he does like NASCAR? I don't know. I don't, what do you do with him? I don't know what to do with a NASCAR fan. I mean, it's a silly thing to think that tryouts should be a part of family because family is the one place you don't have to prove your worth. You don't have to validate your existence. You, You are in. You don't have to weasel your way in. You're a part of the family because you're family. And I think this is the picture that Paul is wanting to paint for us as he's describing the church and how it is the hope of the world. And he essentially, what, he, what, what Paul is trying to show us is that we all have this longing for belonging. We all want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, somewhere where we are known and where we get to know one another. And, and something that I want us to see from Ephesians 2 is that what Paul is showing us is that the, the church is truly the hope of the world and that the church is one of the only places, I would, I, I would actually argue the only place where anyone can become Family. The church of Jesus Christ, the reason why it is the hope for the world, why it's not just hope for you individually, me individually, but for us collectively, it's because the church is the only place where anyone can become family. But in order for us to embrace that identity as a church, in order to actually live and function as a church where truly anyone can become family, a few things have to be understood in our mindset, and that's this. We have to be a church that remembers our broken past, embraces our difficult present and builds towards our hopeful future. If we are going to be a church where anyone can become family, we have, to embrace, we have to remember our broken past, embrace our difficult present and build towards our hopeful future. So the first thing is this, that we must remember our broken past. As kind of the the old adage goes, those who who, uh, fail to remember the past are doomed to repeat it. You know, and this is true of so many problems in our relationships. I mean, think of most of the tensions and the problems in relationships you have and how much of those tensions are due to the fact that someone has forgotten something. I mean, it's, I mean, so much of it is rooted in our forgetfulness. Like right now you're even thinking, today's our anniversary, you know, or you're, you've totally forgotten that, and there's a new tension. Uh, just wait, after the sermon will be fine. But, but we all do have these tensions in our relationships due to forgetfulness. And I think Paul knows this, and that's why he, he speaks to their past as a way to remedy some of the tensions that are existing in the church. In verse 12, we see this. Paul says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul is reminding the Ephesians of their broken past. Why? Because he's trying to safeguard them from having this us-them divide that is bringing this toxicity into the church. You see, the church in Ephesus was comprised of Jews and Gentiles, and Jews and Gentiles did not play well on the playground. They were not buddies, but the church in Ephesus is comprised of these two very hostile people groups, and Paul is writing to them to remind them of their broken past so that they would put to death this kind of mindset that says, I am better than you. I am superior to you or inferior to me. And Paul does this to remind them of their past. Why? Because he knows that the church is the only place where anybody can become family. And so when we begin to treat people, though, as if that hope is not real, the moment we begin as a church to treat people as outsiders, as unwelcome, when we diminish the hope that anybody could be adopted into the family of God, we are failing to be the church as God has designed it. And it's largely because we have forgotten our broken past. And this is why Paul is writing to them. I mean, he wants them to understand their past so that they kind of level the playing field. And here's just a great example of how this is done in our lives. And some of you kids and teenagers might be able to identify with this. There is very few things that are more embarrassing than when you're hanging out with your friends and your mom walks in and shows pictures of you when you're like three in the bathtub. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, I don't know if your mom, maybe my mom's the only one that did that. My mom's here. Thanks, mom. But, um, but there's something about that is so embarrassing. You're hanging out with your friends, you think you're really cool, and then in walks your mom's like, anybody want to see Reed in a bathtub when he was three? No, no one does. It's embarrassing. Why? Because you're reminded that you're not as cool as you really think you are, and everyone comes from the same place. And that's exactly what Paul is doing. He's, I mean, like, I I don't care how popular you are, how rich you are, how successful you are. Somebody in your life fed you. Somebody in your life wiped you. Somebody in your life held you as you said, I have a boo-boo on my knee. Everybody has gone through that and we forget that. And that's really what Paul is doing is essentially taking the Ephesians back down memory lane, reminding them of where they came from so that they don't have a place to stand over others in the church. I believe he's doing this because of the division between the Jews and Gentiles. And he's saying, look, when you understand who you are and more specifically who Jesus is, when you understand how broken your past is, when you understand, as Paul says, that you were dead in your sins, that you were alienated from God, that you were separated from Christ, where you had no hope in the world, when you understand your broken past, you are less likely to look down on others because you know where you came from. It levels the playing field when we understand our broken past." And when this begins to become part of our identity as a church, we eliminate the room to look down upon others. We eliminate the phrases where we say things like, I'm so glad I'm not like him. I'm so glad I'm not like them. Thank God that these people are not living in my neighborhood, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We eliminate that kind of division when we remember our broken past as a church. Now, one thing I just want to kind of give us a moment just to reflect on honestly is that we all have people in our lives that we look down on. Whether it's people specifically with names that, we, that we're thinking of, or perhaps it's people in general, types of people that we look down on. That we say, thank God I'm not like them. Thank God that I don't live near them. Thank God that those kinds of people don't go to my church. We all have some kind of person that we look down on. And the question for us is this, who is the person or who are the people that you would say if they began to enter into our church family, you would say, I'm uncomfortable, or perhaps I'm angry. Who are the people, who are the types of people that we would look down upon and say, I'm not comfortable with this? Because when we are uncomfortable, when we are angry with this, we are showing that we are not a church for all people, and we are not a place where anyone can become family. And in that case, we are not the church of Jesus Christ. And so, I think in order for us to be a church where anyone can be family, we have to regularly remember our broken past to guard ourselves from this us them division. And when we do that, I believe we'll be set up better to embrace our difficult present. And that's where we turn to next. And, and so, what do what I mean by embracing our difficult present? I don't mean to say that, hey, if we just kind of get along, if we just hug a lot and take some selfies together, you know, our church is going to look like a Coke commercial that runs during the Olympics. Like we're going to feel really cool and happy and special. I I don't want to say that it's just this simple thing. Being the kind of church where anyone can be family is difficult. It's messy. It's awkward. And it will always be that. But that's no excuse to avoid and giving up on that vision because that is the vision that Jesus has for his church. The pursuit of unity and reconciliation and peace among all peoples in the church is not just a, a nice pleasantry that we can add on, it is central to the message of the gospel. You see, we have division in our church. There, there's, there's no denying that. We have division theologically we have division socioeconomically, racially. We, we even have division about division, like where people leave the church because people were leaving the church. I mean, it's just ridiculous the kind of division that exists in an institution that is meant to be united around one person. But just because there are challenges that stand in our way of being the kind of church where anyone can become family, just because it's difficult, just because it's awkward, just because it's painful doesn't mean we shouldn't pursue it. In fact, What I would say is that if we aren't experiencing that kind of pain, if we're not experiencing the challenges of being a church where anybody can become family, then we're probably not being the church that Jesus intended. If we're not feeling the pain and the difficulty of it, we're probably not living as a church where truly anyone can be family. And I know that sounds shocking. I know that sounds shocking, but, but we have to remember our broken past in order to embrace our difficult present. The reason why is because at the heart of the gospel is the message of one God who who literally puts skin on to be torn apart to bring us back together. As I said, reconciliation, peace, and unity are not just nice relational pleasantries. They are central to the message of the gospel. That's why Paul goes on in verse 13 to say, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down his, in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. This is essential to the identity of the church. Why? Because Jesus did not simply die for you or for me individually. He died for his church. And his church is the bride of Christ, which is the collection of all believers from all tribes, tongues, and nations. And when we understand that that is who Jesus died for, that he died for his bride, it changes the way we look at one another that we are no longer divided by the things that we let ourselves be divided by. Things like tax brackets and skin color and zip codes and politics. Christ has destroyed those barriers even though we tend to rebuild them back up. That is why the issue of reconciliation in the church is not just a secondary issue, it is a gospel issue. Because at the heart of the gospel is the compassionate beating heart of a God who came to redeem every heart that beats in all kinds of chests of various types, shapes, sizes, and colors. That's the heart of the gospel. And when we understand that good news, it changes the way we look at ourselves and our identity as the church. The heart of the gospel is what serves the foundation for us being the church where anybody can become family. Why has God done this? Paul makes it so clear for us in verse 15 that he might create in himself one new man. In place of the two, in place of the many types of groups, he has come to bring together a new people to be one, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. God literally puts skin in the game by putting skin on in the person of Jesus to have his skin torn apart to bring us together. That's why this issue is not just something hey we should think about it is a central part of the identity of the church why because it is a central part of the gospel of Jesus Christ that is the message of the hope for all people and if this is at the heart of the gospel then how on earth could we possibly ignore it how on earth could we possibly see reconciliation and peace and unity of all kind how could we possibly see it as a secondary issue it is to be at the heart of the identity of the church. The church ought to be a place of reconciliation and peace for all peoples. And by God's grace, I think we're, we're seeing that in some ways. We're, we're a long way off, but we are seeing it in some ways. And, and I thought it would just be helpful to hear a story of, of how this is being, t- happening and taking place in one of our campuses. So hear this story from our Brookside campus.
1: What led to us Coming to Christ community. So we were looking for a church that was well-rounded, something that fit the entire family. After one service, our daughter came running upstairs and said, We have to join this church. This is the church that we need to join. Let me tell you what I learned today.
2: I just remember it. Like I just walked through the doors that day we visited. And he just said, What's your name? Let's go to lunch.
1: <laughs> what stuck with Wesley was the fact that he was able to build relationships with men that didn't look like him.
2: Yeah, we went to this Italian restaurant and he just opened up about race and about where we was as a church, what the church has been praying for, and just praying for more diversity and saying how our families is an answer from God, just coming to that church. And just for the fact that we just had a very comfortable conversation about race just from the start that was the start of our relationships just this being tremendously great
1: I have built some really great relationships with some really awesome women and the cool thing is it's not just even at the Brookside campus I have friends that go to the Leawitt campus and the Olathe campus and the downtown campus and they're all different races Chinese black white Samoan. It, isn't, it doesn't matter. We're all friends and we are all working together to encourage one another and just to help each other learn how to operate in these things as daughters of the King.
2: So my relationship went from visiting to these are my brothers that I will share personal things with and I love them to death.
1: One thing that I really admire in terms of unity and in the church and being that starting place is that Pastor Bill Gorman is not afraid to address it. He stands up there in front of a predominantly white congregation and fearlessly gives biblical truth. I respect him a lot for that because a lot of churches, whether it's black or white, aren't touching it. And he does it in a way that resonates with people with the injustices that have happened. I had more women come up to me and just cry and say, Carissa, I am so ignorant to these things. I truly just don't know because I don't have to live in that experience and I'm sorry for that. And I never feel like you have to apologize to a person of color just because you're white, you know? But I think that it's awesome that it's resonating with people and it's making it's making them ask questions and want the veil to be lifted
2: so not long ago me and um a couple of the brothers from the church john and anthony went another couple we went to legacy in chicago which is a hip-hop conference but it's also just a discipleship conference and just going to that conference and us being able to to bond together get to know each other and just us showing that authentic love for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We sat, we we prayed, we talked about about race issues, and from that trip, just coming back from Legacy, that's been a life-changing experience. And that picture is like the perfect picture to show what unity looks like in a church. Black and white brothers and sisters just hugged up, linked up, and showing everybody that we love each other authentically.
0: I think that is a, just a beautiful picture of what, of what the church ought to be and, 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 and way, the way in which it's laid out in Scripture and I think the vision that Paul is giving us. But, but as beautiful as it is, I, again, I don't want to give the false impression that, that it's easy, you know, it, it's difficult, it's challenging, and we do. We have a long ways to go in this as a church and how we think about the posture we have as a church and being a people where anybody can become family But we have to be willing to take steps forward. And and that's where I just wanna suggest a few things for us to, to think about and consider as a church. How can we begin to be a people where anybody can become family? And the first thing I would say as we think about being a church of hope is this. We need to regularly rub shoulders with people different than us. We, we have to regularly rub shoulders of people that are different than us. And what I mean by that is that we, we have to fight against the natural gravitational pull in our hearts to want to only be with people just like us. Th- there's nothing wrong with having friends and, and, and living in communities with people that are mostly like you, but, but when that is our only diet of relationship, we are not only continuing the divide that exists, but we're robbing ourselves of the joy of learning from, benefiting from people that are different than us. We have to learn to rub shoulders with people different than us for so many reasons, but one of which in particular is that when we are so disconnected from a situation, from a people group, from a culture, we tend to look at the problems of that culture through a very simplistic lens. When we're so far removed, like, oh, well, the the problem is this, and then therefore the solutions we suggest are oversimplified and thus not helpful. The more removed we are from a people group, from a culture, from a situation, the more simplistic our, our uh. Our diagnosis is and the more simplistic and unhelpful our solutions are, we have to be willing to rub shoulders with those who are different from us. And I think this is exactly what, what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said so well in addressing this divide. He said this, people fail to get along because they fear each other. And they fear each other because they don't know each other. And they don't know each other because they have not communicated with each other. We have to be willing to get to know and enter into a relationship with people different than us and that is not easy and that is not simple and it is messy but it is worth doing one thing I would point your, your attention to is something that FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, is doing October 8th. They're hosting a 5K race. Uh, myself and a few other folks from Christ Community across our campuses are, are participating in it uh, very slowly. Uh, I will be very slowly. And, and uh, it's, it's a race on October 8th uh, called Race to Unite. Uh, it's, one of, it's the first 5K that is largely on Troost Avenue. And if you, if you know Troost Avenue, it still to this day is a, is a dividing line in our city uh, racially and socioeconomically. And, and the race is really designed to bring attention to the racial divide in our city. So I encourage you to learn more about it. Uh, there will be a rally afterwards, uh, a hope rally afterwards at 10 a.m. at Thice Park. You can learn more online or see it in the, this week's emails. So that's something I would point your attention to. But the second thing I would suggest is admit that you have a culture and, and be willing to admit that it's not the best one. And, and, and this is a piece of advice that kind of sounds odd to like, what do you mean admit that we have a culture? And this is, that first part is probably more of a piece of advice to white people because white people tend to not see themselves as having a culture. We just, no, that's just the way I do things. That's just the, that's just the way things are to be done. And, and in fact, Tim Keller, who's a white pastor, he describes this, he says, white people tend to not look at the, the way they do things and say things as, as white. It's just Right. It's like, oh, that's that's not a white thing. That's just the right way to do things. And when we fail to identify that we have a culture as white people, what we are doing is that we are failing. We're diminishing our chances of sympathizing with, with other cultures because we're failing to see that through their eyes, we are other people. And other people will just be that. They'll just be other people. And we will fail to see that we, through their eyes, are also other people. We have to be willing to admit that we have a culture and that it's not the right one. And thirdly, I would suggest for to be a church where anybody can become family, we need to start t- treating strangers as family, as potential family members. W- whether it's a person that looks like you or not, we need to be willing to be a church that, that meets strangers, meets visitors, connects with new people, and is willing to be, in a sense, an awkward family. I'm giving us permission essentially to be an awkward family, to have those interesting and awkward conversations. Look, you may be new, maybe you've been here forever and like you're actually talking to Pastor Nathan. Like, oh, you're new here? No, I started this church. What are you talking about? We have to be willing to have awkward conversations even if it means, even if it means you embarrassing yourself, we've gotta be willing to say hi, to get to know people, to learn people's names so that we could be a church where strangers can become family. And a quick story I'll share from our congregational meeting a while back. We had, there was an exchange between a, a, a person from one of our campuses and a person from another campus. They didn't know each other. And, and as we were observing this, one of them is, is actually a man who's, who's in and out of homelessness. Very interesting story. And he was talking to another church member who was actually a, a doctor. And, and neither of them knew the other person and who they were in their background. And, and here's my question. Why on earth? How on earth, where else on earth would you see that kind of relationship forming naturally? Other than the church where people, anybody can become family. Where else do you see a homeless person and a doctor actually engaging and socializing and trying to become friends? The church is the place that provides that kind of hope for you and for me and for all of us. We need to be willing to be a church who makes strangers feel like family. But I know for some of us, this is just too awkward to do. Like this, this, I just don't even wanna like step into this. This is just too much. Can't we just kind of keep doing church the way we're doing church and just not really ruffle feathers and just kind of be okay with this? But if we're going to have this kind of no pain, we're going to have a no gain view of the church. We have to see and understand that by embracing it or by understanding and remembering our broken past and by embracing our difficult present, we are also building towards our hopeful future. The reason why this is worth pursuing and engaging in the difficulty and the awkwardness of it is because this is the direction that the church is being built towards. This is exactly what Paul shows us as he begins to show that the church of Jesus Christ was built, it's upon Jesus, it's built by Jesus, and it's built for Jesus. And because the church is built on and by and for Jesus, the one who came to make a new people out of all people groups, then the church ought to be the place where hope can be found for you and for me and for us and a church where anybody can become family, where the outcast is welcome, where the stranger becomes family, where the enemy becomes a friend. That's why Paul says in verse 18 19, for through him we both now have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Why is this hope even for us? Why is it even made available to us? Because this is what Jesus set out to accomplish on the cross. As Paul goes on in verse 16, he might reconcile us, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. And this hope is for us as a church even now because Jesus in our midst is building his church in this direction, that the church is being built. It wasn't built, it is continuing to be built together and it's moving in this direction as Paul concludes in verse 22. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And and this hope that the church is being built towards a church where anyone can become family. It is the church that we see displayed for us in all of its beauty and glory at the end of the book in Revelation. The reason why this is worth pursuing, the reason why this is what the identity of the church ought to be is because it's where the church is headed. And at the end of the book, what do we see? We see the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, and what does it look like? It's painted in the most beautiful of colors. And in Revelation 7, we see this picture After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. This is what Jesus gave his life for. This is what the central message of the gospel is, is that that which has been torn apart and separated can be brought back together. Jesus is in the business of reconciliation, and therefore his church ought to be as well. And, and th- this is the heart behind the whole initiative of Reach KC. Again, this, the, the whole point and focus is that we might bring together that which we have separated and divided. And the good news of the gospel says that Jesus has come to destroy the dividing walls that we so naturally and readily put up. But we will miss out on this hope and the joy that this hope brings if we fail to see that the church is a place where anyone can become family. And in order to truly believe that and live into that, we have to properly place ourselves at the feet of Jesus on the cross. Why? First, because the only way into the life of the family is through the death of the son. The only way we enter into the life of the family of God is through the death of the son. Jesus is the one who made it possible for anyone to become a family member. But secondly, why should we place ourselves at the feet of Jesus? Because when we begin to see ourselves and others from the vantage point of beneath the feet of Jesus on the cross, it's very difficult to look down on people. When you have placed yourself at the feet of Jesus, when you've come to trust in him as savior and Lord of your life, it's very difficult from beneath the feet of Jesus on the cross to look down upon anyone else. That's why we must be a church that remembers our broken past, embraces our difficult present, and builds towards our hopeful future. And if we forget our broken past, we will forget that we were once dead, that we were once separated from Christ, that we were removed from the promises of God and that we were at one point without hope in the world, and then that beautiful word comes in, but, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. When this is the message of the church, then the church truly can be a place where anyone can become family, So let us embrace the beautiful, blended family vision that Jesus has for his church. Let us be a church who remembers our broken past, embraces our difficult present, and builds towards our hopeful future so that we might be a church that is a place of hope for you, for me, and for all of us together to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you and thank you for the good news of the gospel that declares to us boldly and clearly that Jesus has come to reconcile and restore broken relationships. And Lord, I thank you for the church and the hope that it brings to me and to those in this room and to all people, but also, Lord, to us together. Lord, would you help us to be a church by your spirit, who who regularly remember our broken past and who repent of it and who embrace our difficult present and seek to be a church where anyone can become family. And may we do this, Lord, to build the church towards its glorious end where we see all people declaring with all tongues from all backgrounds that you are the Lord. Lord, may we be this church of hope for all people, for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.